0: If you're the father of a boy, this episode is for you. Did you know that one man dies by suicide every minute of every day worldwide? Or what about this? Men die by suicide at a rate four times higher than women. Those are some horrifying stats, guys. What is leading us men down this just dark road? Well, my guest today has made his career in helping men and boys navigate These difficult issues. His name is David Thomas. This is the Dad Devotionals Podcast with Dave Domzowski. Each week, I'll bring you compelling interviews that'll educate, inspire, and motivate you to become the father and husband our Lord called you to be. We're a community of devoted dads who want to strengthen our faith and family and live out our true purpose in this life. Please, won't you join us? Just text me at 717-913-5671, and you'll be welcomed into my Devoted Dads community. And if you want to support the podcast, we invite you to purchase a product, a book, or a course in our affiliate shop on daddevotionals.com. You can also contribute monthly at patreon.com slash daddevotionals. Now, here's today's show. God bless. David is a licensed counselor with over 25 years of experience. He's the Director of Family Counseling at Daystar Counseling in Nashville, Tennessee. Seems like so many good things come out of Nashville. He's co-authored 10 books, including Wild Things, The Art of Nurturing Boys, which is my wife's favorite, and Are My Kids on Track? You'll also recognize him from the podcast Raising Boys and Girls. He joins us today to discuss his latest book, Raising Emotionally Strong Boys, Tools Your Son Can Build On for Life. That's this one right here. David, welcome to Dad Devotionals. It is so great to have you. Thank you for having me. It's an honor to be here. No problem at all. Let's start with this. Why is dealing with emotions so difficult, not just for us men, but also for our boys specifically?
1: You know, I think it begins at the beginning. I think, you know, if we think back to those early well visits with pediatricians when they are asking questions like, How many words is he saying? What research would tell us is that in those early pediatric visits, as kids are beginning to talk, girls are going to say two to three times the number of words that boys will. So if we think about a girl's general vocabulary being broader, it makes sense that her emotional vocabulary would be more expansive as well. So I think from the get go, we're going to have to labor a little longer to help boys develop an expansive emotional vocabulary because What research also tells us, and I think we're quick to lose sight of, is that boys don't have fewer emotions than girls. That's long been thought to be the truth. And there's no science to back that up. It's just that boys tend to have fewer words to articulate the emotions they're experiencing. So this book is all about how can we, from the front side of development, equip boys to be able to name and navigate their experience throughout their their life, because it's just something every one of us as humans, human beings, men and women, males and females are going to need to do. But according to the stats, men have a much more difficult time doing. Absolutely.
0: Uh, this is something that I'm going to ask you that has worried me that I do with my son. And I know that my brothers and I definitely dealt with this growing up. I'm the oldest of three boys. How can parents discipline their child my son's six and a half uh, how can we How can I discipline him without shaming him or just yelling at him, lecturing him, or in many ways over disciplining him mm,
1: it 's a great question, and I love that you 're giving me an opportunity to speak into that question because I will say this to you in in twenty five years of doing this work. One of my dear friends and colleagues, Sissy Goff, who's written a lot of amazing content about girls, she and I, when we teach together, talk with parents about how we have observed with consistency over the course of our work that unless we're paying very close attention, I think it's easy and natural for moms to be harder on their daughters and for dads to be harder on their sons. And I think it comes from a good place. I think, you know, we as men want our sons to feel prepared because we know what it takes to be a man in this world. And I think there's that desire of, I want you to feel prepared. I want you to know what's coming. I want you to have the resilience and the grit to be able to face all of what you're going to face in life. The same that I think moms are feeling with daughters. I know what it takes to be a woman in this world, but out of that desire to prepare them, I think there can be a spillover effect of being too hard on them unless we're paying close attention. And then I would layer onto that. We have also observed that And and forgive me if I'm stepping on any parents' toes as you hear this, but in our experience, in every family, not just in some families, but in every family, there is at least one child who flips your switch a little bit quicker than the others. And often it is, to speak to that phenomena, the oldest child of our same gender. And, And again, there can be an extension of who we are that we experience with that particular kid or It can be the kid who's most like us. And I think what happens in that experience is we see evidence of some things about ourselves that we don't love. And we want to, again, coming from a great place, I want to save you some heartache. I don't want you to hit some of the same hurdles I hit in life. So I'm going to try to parent those things out of you. So you want to hit the same hurdles as if that's even possible. And so if we are, to your great question, paying attention to those dynamics, all of those possibilities. I think it allows us to be parenting appropriately with that kid, rather than giving them a bit more, which may
0: simply be more about us. You know, it's it's funny you lay it out like that because, I mean, I see it with my son. I see the things that you know he hesitates on, and I'm like, no, 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 buddy, you, it's okay, go. But I know what he's thinking because I was that I was that six year old. I was that at one point he'll he'll be the thirteen year old. I remember feeling that way. And, and now it's funny because I, I go to my parents and I'm like, you weren't crazy. You were on to something. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yes. Yes. And, oh, man. And as I get older, it, it's become scarier and scarier. I, I talk to my wife all the time, how much we are like them and how we in some ways are going down the same road in our parenthood.
1: Absolutely. We're creatures of habit. We all fall back on what's familiar, even if it's something we don't want or we don't like or we don't plan to repeat. Like we are creatures of habit. Unless we're building that great awareness, which is why I love your question of paying attention to those things, Mm -hmm. we will inevitably repeat patterns. You know, Richard Ward talks about if we don't, you know, transform our pain, we will simply transfer it in some way. And Mm so there's a lot of wisdom to those words within the context of parenting. And then the other thing I would say, and and part of what I talk about in the book that I would want to really challenge dads to consider is I think out of that being harder on boys, we have all as adult men absorbed a lot of messages that are so familiar that we aren't really paying attention to them anymore. But let's think about the classic message of man up. Like every one of us has heard those words. We know those words. We may have even spoken those words and, If we don't do a bit of dissecting, it's important to pay attention to the fact that somewhere in that messaging often is a message of stop feeling, suck it up and move forward. And I've sat with more fathers over 25 years of doing this work. I just sat with a dad last week and he said to me, David, I grew up hearing the message consistently of don't feel and don't ask for help. And he said, I have, like many men, absorbed those messages fully, and it has made my journey as a husband and a father incredibly difficult. And I'm committed to raising a son who doesn't grow up believing that the right thing to do is not feel and not ask for help. I want the opposite for him. So I want us to think about all the different messages, not just man up, but you know how often I think we say to boys, quit crying or calm down. and And somewhere within those messages often is stop feeling or feel less. Which again, if boys already struggle in this space, if it's already harder for them to name and articulate their experience and navigate that journey, that messaging is just furthering them in the direction of it's not good to feel. It's not masculine to feel. And all of what I think we set them up for the scary stat you shared on the front side of our conversation and so many others, you know, when I was doing the research for this book, I was reminded of what we've long known that, you know, men are more reluctant to ask for help men are more reluctant to talk about significant life events i even came across data that spoke to the fact of of how many women per year go for their well visits with their general practitioner versus men who don't we just don't care for our health our physical health our emotional health our spiritual health as often that is again part of that don't feel don't ask for help message that sets us up to consistently annually you know lead some of the scary statistics out there you know infidelity internet pornography substance abuse suicide i could go on and on and on some of the scary stats out there we lead as males and if we drill down adolescent males lead and so yes. that's where i just want to do everything on my watch to get in front of this journey with boys i i you know, talk about often that great Frederick Douglass quote of, you know, it's easier to build strong children than it is to repair broken men. And that's really the mission of this book
0: and what I want to be about. So thanks for letting me preach here for a minute. Well, no problem. And actually I want you to do a little bit more preaching because we talked about what we, how we don't want ourselves, our boys to end up, but how can we make sure that parents are modeling the healthy ways of handling the emotions before expecting, you know, for me, in my case, expecting my six-year-old to do the same, you know, to to, yes. to almost model what it's like to be a healthy, for me, 37-year-old while he's only, you know, he's only six years old, almost seven. Yeah.
1: You know, I think it is so great when kids hear parents say, I'm working on that too. I wish more boys got to hear their dad say, you know what, buddy, that's something I'm practicing too. That's something that can be hard for me too. That's something you and I are working on together. And so that speaks to, I love that you use the word modeling because research tells us time and time again, that kids learn more from observation than information. They're learning way more from watching us, observing us than anything else. And so when we're sitting around the dinner table together and and talking about our day, I, I want Boys in particular, kids in general, to get to hear their parents say things like, you know what, I think I I feel sad. I think I said something that hurt a friend's feelings today and I didn't mean to. Or I felt embarrassed. I had to give a presentation to the, port, to the board of directors and I didn't feel as prepared as I wanted to, knowing that that reporting is landing on the kids we love. I'd even challenge parents. Today, when you're in the car, I want you to think about how often you could narrate your emotional experience for kids in a way that creates that good modeling. So if you're stuck in traffic and looking at your watch and thinking, I'm going to be late, I want kids to hear parents say things like, you know what? I feel stress in my body right now because the traffic is heavy and I'm worried we're going to be late. And so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to turn on some calming music right now and listen for a few minutes because I think that'll settle my brain and body or I'm going to do a minute of some deep breathing or let you and I pray together right now. There's so many different ways that I think we could narrate our experience that kids then get to sit front row and watch the work of regulation happening, which I talk so much about in the book. On the grownups, they trust the most in this world. And, And that I would say to parents listening, that above everything else we will do will have the greatest impact in terms of their emotional development. And I would even go one step further in saying for the boys, I think I talk so much about how much boys need to see that emotions reside in the life of a man. And they need to see that their dads sometimes feel worried and afraid and confused and uncertain because we place such a high value on competence in this world. And and I think boys live in a way that I think they believe to be fully masculine means that I feel competent at all moments. Well, you and I know as men, as husbands, as fathers, I feel competent about 10% of the time. (laughs) The other 90%, like, I feel like I'm just flying blindly. I'm making it up as I go along. I'm hoping I'm doing the right things in my marriage and my parenting. And so, I want boys to be freed up by hearing the men around them speak to that in those ways that I think gives them so much permission to feel like I just don't always know what I'm doing. I just don't always feel certain. I just don't always feel confident walking into a room. You know, I wish boys could even hear their dads talk about that. Like I walked into a business meeting. I felt really nervous. I didn't know where to sit. I wasn't (laughs) sure where my place was. And when I sat down, I was a little sweaty. Like, I just don't think boys get to hear that kind of reporting very often. And I believe it's, it's so important to their growth and development
0: emotionally and spiritually. Absolutely. Well, there's ways that you're helping us work on that, right? I mean, the other thing that I have here in my possession is this amazing workbook. Uh, So take a minute We're we're going to take a break in just a second, but take a minute and tell us about the strong and smart, a boy's guide to building healthy emotions and how that can help with what you're discussing with us right here
1: thank you for letting me talk about it. It it felt important to me. I will say it's always felt important to me with every book I've written that I as a clinician, I as a parent myself know what it feels like to read a book and think, I love that. I agree with that. And I have no idea what to do with that. And I would never want parents walking away from my content, whether it's a podcast or the book or a class feeling like I don't know how to execute that. And so I end every chapter of raising emotionally strong boys with five intentional practices. Like, here's what it looks like to put this content into action. And then I wanted to do that for boys with the workbook. So I targeted six to 12 year old boys with this workbook to kind of put feet to this content for them. But I think the workbook can be easily modified according to some parents of preschool age boys I've talked with um, to use with them. And then even adolescent boys. That I think we can adopt a lot of those practices with them. In fact, I even laughed with a mom this week. She bought the workbook for her fourth grade son. And she said, David, it's been really helpful, but I can't tell you how much of this content I'm using with my husband. And I'm like, well, great. I love that. So whatever the age of the male you are caring for, I hope it's useful. We don't change much, right? (laughs) There are a lot of similarities between toddlers, teenagers, and adult
0: men sometimes. So use it where it's useful. Oh, no, I love that. Well, we're going to take a moment to thank our sponsors. When we come back, we'll chat more with David about his new book, Raising Emotionally Strong Boys. We'll be right back. Hey, parents. Do you want the perfect addition to your homeschool adventure? You have to check out the Tuttle Twins. Go to daddevotionals.com slash Tuttle Twins. That's T-U-T-T-L-E. The Tuttle Twins helps homeschool parents convey the principles of freedom to their kids in a fun way. They have books for toddlers ages 5 to 11 and 12 and older. They even have a fabulous economic curriculum along with parent teaching guides. Your kids will learn about the golden rule, entrepreneurship, the free market, property rights, the importance of education, and more. Don't wait to add these books to your kids' education plan. Go to daddevotionals.com slash Tuttle Twins today. That's daddevotionals.com slash Tuttle Twins. Want to start a website for your family business? Check out Bluehost and get everything you need to start up your own website. Select your domain, a design template, and get the right hosting plan. Whether you're starting or growing a digital business, brick and mortar shop, or you're selling eggs on the family farm, Bluehost can help you get your business online. Plans for Dad Devotionals listeners and RunTheMoney.com fans start at $2.95 per month with a free domain for one year. Go to runthemoney.com slash Bluehost and sign up. That's runthemoney.com slash Bluehost. Get it done. All right. We're back with David Thomas. He's a licensed counselor and author of the new book, Raising Emotionally Strong Boys. All right, David, I got to tell you, I really like the idea, and I was really looking forward to talking to you about this, the concept of pace setters in a boy's life. Both my my wife and I read the advanced copy of the book. Um, and this this topic was just something we both found fascinating. So can you walk us through it and how to make it work for us?
1: i love to. You know, we've been talking so much about a boy's emotional development. And obviously, that's the bedrock of this book. But the second third of the book is really about the strength of connection and how boys develop emotionally within the context of relationships. And so I break down relationships with moms and dads some unique things boys need there and also friends, mentors. And in talking some in that space, I piggybacked on, I get to credit my, one of my amazing sons, both of my, all three of my kids were runners throughout their high school careers. They all ran track and cross country and, and I love those sports. And one of my boys senior year of high school Introduce me to some video content about Elliot Kipchoge, who is um, a man who was born in Kenya to a single mom, ran to school every day of his life and developed into one of the fastest humans on Earth. He has set countless Olympic records and is an amazing man. If you want to do some research, I'd encourage you to look him up online. And one of the practices that he embodies in running is involving what he calls setters, which is a group of his closest friends who literally run with him to help him identify a pace so that he doesn't go out too fast at the beginning or get a little too sluggish midway through the race. And so these individuals are running in very close proximity to him throughout. And then as he nears the finish line of any race, it's beautiful to watch a video of this. They begin to separate out, move from in front of and around him to behind him. Mm-hmm. And these amazing individuals have helped that keep this man keep pace to set these amazing records and then celebrate him as he would cross the finish line. And I remember watching and weeping the first time I saw it, you know, as I learned about this concept and thinking about that, you know, in the context of relationship in general and and what it would look like to raise boys who would embody elements of that this idea that you would you know be in close proximity to a tight group of friends you don't need 200 you know but you just need a small handful who are committed to being with you and pushing you when you're having trouble and Mm -hmm. maybe being a little sluggish and keeping you from running ahead when you may have some impulsive moments at different times and be prone to saying or doing things that aren't going to benefit you and then who celebrate you who step back and celebrate and champion you, you know, I think boys are so competitive. We as males are so competitive by nature that in my experience, a lot of boys develop and maintain relational strategies that are competitive by nature. I think even in conversation, they one up and dominate, you know, I sat in groups of boys so often and one will be like, man, I scored the winning soccer goal in my game only to hear another boy say to him, so what? I scored three in my last one. There's just not anything instinctive. And then the thoughts say, dude, that's incredible. Like, Are you kidding me? What was that like? And that's what a pace setter does. Like, I'm here to push you, to champion you, to celebrate you, to build you up, not tear you down. I'm not here to compete with you. I'm here to compete with you. And so not just compete against you. And so I think developing relational strategies in that way is part of how I wanted to help boys and parents who love boys develop a framework for what it could look like to approach relationships in those ways. And again, lastly, I would just say, let's break down and dissect the messaging that boys get within relationships. You know, it's all about the top dog. It's all about the alpha male. It's all about who's in first. And so I think dissecting those messages, our boys are not just getting
0: emotionally, but messages they're getting relationally. Absolutely. I guess before I move on from this concept, though, for for myself as a dad, for instance, you know, ever since March of 2020, my job has been at home. I mean, I, I interact with coworkers online. Even before then, I wasn't the greatest at this. Uh, ever since leaving college, haven't really had a lot of opportunities to make male friends and bond. And at this point in the game, it's like. Well, if my wife doesn't set it up with a play date and meet the mom and meet the kids, I have no chance of meeting. And you know, there's no there's no guarantee that this other guy is gonna be anything like me, let alone be a pace center and want to cheer me on. Exactly. So, how, you know, I, I, for me, just just speak to me here, but I know there's other guys that listen that are gonna be in the same boat because I speak to them myself. Yeah. How can I identify at least just one? I'm asking for one pace setter.
1: And I love that you are only because I think sometimes we think I've got to have 10. And the idea of that feels so overwhelming and impossible. We just don't even get in the pool as opposed to thinking, I just need one. Yeah. I just need one or two. I talk about that for boys. Like as you travel through the complicated space of mid and late adolescence, you just need one or two guys who are moving in the same direction. Right. You know? We're fooling boys with social media into thinking you got to have thousands. You know, those are I talk about the difference between a follower and a pace setter, and, and I think doing some dissecting in that space, I would also say, you know, I talk about in the book, how many times over the years I have asked boys of all ages it's like, hey, tell me who are your mom's three closest friends mm. only to have a boy rattle those off with very little difficulty. But if I ask the opposite, tell me who three of your dad's closest friends, or even one or two, sometimes it's really hard. And and again, if we're thinking about modeling being so pivotal in this journey, yes. it's vital. It's vital that boys see their dads engaging in friendship. To your great question, it's vital that boys hear their dads talking about, you know what? It's hard. I'm having a hard time making friends. I'm having to be really intentional. Here's how I'm being intentional. Mm-hmm. Hey, can I tell you what I did today? I asked another got to go have coffee with me. I test drove a friendship, maybe sometimes the way we test drive a car and that one didn't fit as well. But guess what? Two weeks from now, I'm going to have lunch with another guy. I've asked another guy to go to breakfast with me. I found some connection. I also love when dads model for boys that we do a lot of relationship as males around a task. So it's, it's not uncommon that men's have some of their richest conversations while in motion on the golf course. Doing something as opposed to just being, and so I would encourage men to lean into that natural part of the way we're hardwired. I even talk about with with boys as parents. You know, engage boys around building Legos. Engage boys around talk walking the family dog and talking in that way. Engage boys when they're outside shooting hoops. Go outside and grab the ball, and retrieve it, and throw it back to him, and watch how conversations evolve a bit more naturally when we're doing. And so I'd say the same to us as men. Well, I guess you got to set up
0: some mandates then going forward. (laughs) I think it's a good thing to do and talk openly about doing it. Absolutely. So we talked a lot about emotions. All right. So what is the emotional toolbox that you discuss and how can it help our boys? And also just for me, because I think it's really important, touch on humility's role in that if you can. Yeah, I'd love to. You know, I would say I think
1: a toolbox is foundational for every boy, for every male. And I use the example. I grew up, one of my grandfathers was a builder. One of my grandfathers was a fisherman. And my builder grandfather made me a toolbox when I was five. My grandfather, who loved to fish, gave me my first tackle box. It's actually over my shoulder right there. And I use that as an example of my grandfather, who was a builder, would never show up at a site. I worked for him one summer. Every man on site had a toolbox because Mm. you need those tools to do the work. My grandfather would never go out on the water without a tackle box. You need those tools to fish successfully. And I wish we approached having emotional tools in that same way. Like If I don't have those, I can't do life well as a man, as a husband, as a father. And so in the workbook, in the book. I literally walk parents through the process of helping boys come up with what I call a top five list. And with younger boys getting an actual lunchbox or toolbox that they can store some tactile experiences. I've got some of mine sitting right here on the desk. I got a stress ball. I could squeeze in moments. If I, if you and I were talking and I felt really nervous right now, I could be squeezing a stress ball in my non-dominant hand while we're having a conversation and that tactile experience be useful for me. So yeah building some actual tools that don't have to to eventually be tactile objects, but that process being something that we are traveling through life with, that I'm going to need those things that settle my brain and body. That top five list is going to go with me wherever I go. You know, I'm officially an empty nester. I have three kids in college. And my objective playing the long game of parenting was that all three of my kids, when they went away, They're all in other cities and other states now. I'm not near them as they would have the tools in place to navigate the stress of being in a new city, meeting new people, going to classes with professors who are supportive and some who are not, you know, (laughs) all the things that every one of us face when we launch out in life. And I, you know, I talk about in the book all throughout the book that discomfort is the price of admission for a meaningful life. And so do we have the tools in place to navigate the discomfort of life? It's gonna hit us in every season. That's what it's about,
0: oh, man. Well, that's you set you set it up so nicely. I got to tell you, because <laughs> I want to talk about work ethic and the concept of mastery. You you write that our sons need to know they're capable of hard things and good work. So as I told you, I have a six and a half year old son, and I want to know how do I instill this in him when he doesn't want to do you know the diligent that the the tough types of practice that it takes to get better on the golf course. For instance, he's a little golfer. He's, he started in when he was three and a half picked up a club and he hasn't shut up about it since. So our, our, my wife and I were discussing it on our walk back last night. And I'm like, I'm so glad I'm talking to David Thomas tomorrow, because I want to know how do we push him without breaking him?
1: Mm, It's a great question. And I think we absolutely, we absolutely do push him. I talk a lot about a a magic equation I use every day in my practice with parents of support and challenge, Mm -hmm. support and challenge. And in that order that we always start with support. Hey, buddy, that's hard. I can tell you're frustrated on the golf course today. I can tell you're not hitting the way you want to hit and challenged. What would it look like to give it another shot at the next hole? What would it look like to take two minutes and walk up and down the course and do some deep breathing and then come back into the game at that point, whatever it may be using his tools in that space. But even there, do you see where we're kind of breaking down that message or incompetence? Like the world's going to tell you, you show up at every hole and you just nail it. And what I'm here to tell you is that's not at all how life works. And what I'm also here to tell you is that you're going to feel so incompetent at moments that will be the greatest gift you've been given because it will remind you to lean into God. It'll remind you, you don't have everything you need. You weren't designed to, but he does. And so there are so many layers of goodness. I think when we're breaking those messages apart, but again, if boys get to sit front row to their dads doing that work it through when they're frustrated on the golf course, but again, balancing that support and challenge equation in ways that I think are are just so needed and necessary. But I love that you allowed me to talk about this because I would say, you know, we are currently, and I talk about this in the book, experiencing the highest rates of anxiety we've ever seen at any other time in history. In fact, mm-hmm. as far as kids go, anxiety is considered to be a childhood epidemic in our country right now. We have such high rates and what the anxiety research would tell us is that the two most common parenting practices with anxious kids is avoidance and escape, mm. a sense of I want to extract you from whatever feels overwhelming. I want to pull you right out of that, which doesn't present any of the opportunity you are describing in the great question that you ask. And what happens when we do that is we send a real strong message to kids of, you know what, the problem is too big and you're too small. So I'm going to take you out of that as opposed to communicating. No, you are brave and courageous and resilient and capable. And I'm here with you. There's the support and challenge equation in that. So the worst thing in summary to that, the worst thing we could do for anxious kids, the worst thing we could do for kids in general is just pull them out of hard situations. And that's why I speak to that. I want to also give a great shout out to, I borrowed the brilliance of that idea from my dear friends, Jane, Catherine Wolf, who are part of an amazing organization called hope heals and Jane Catherine, her parents, to two sons. And every night they pray over their boys. And I wish we would all pray this over the kids. We love, you know, God made you to do the hard things in the good story. He is writing for your life. I love those words. I'm gonna say it again. If you'll let me God made you to do, God made you to do the hard things in the good story. He is writing for your life. And I, I wonder what it would be like to live in a world where we were speaking that over our sons daily, regularly, consistently in a way that when they came up against hard things, our voice was always in their ear of hearing like, of course, things are going to be hard. My, my mom and dad have been telling me that all along, and I'm made for the hard things.
0: Absolutely. I can listen to yeah. you all day, my friend. This is, this is wonderful. And I, I would end well, I could it there. talk all day to you. So thank you. Well, I guess that's why you went into counseling, right? (laughs) Likely so. If I ended it there, we wouldn't be able to do my favorite spot, my favorite segment in all these podcasts, and that's the Fatherhood Five. It's a lightning round, quick answers, first things that come to mind, 30 seconds or less. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right. What's the most rewarding thing about being a parent?
1: Mm, The relationship. And and as an empty nester, getting to have that with young adults now, like being near the end of that journey and
0: getting to see what it looks like in this space. Beautiful. What's the most difficult thing about being a parent? The humility, how it
1: consistently exposes me.
0: <laughs> yes, it does. Yes, it does. Now, okay, you have the, you're an empty nester now. You have the, the more adult children, but let's talk about how did you react when one of your kids did something wrong? And now, how do you react today?
1: Yeah. You know, I, I hope with wisdom and maturity and, and all this gray hair I'm carrying on top of my head at this point that I'm doing less reacting, that I'm more responsive and less reactive. And I would say part of parenting that long has been the practice of trust over and over again, that, you know, these kids have been given to me to steward as a gift, but they don't belong to me. And so it's a constant releasing of them over and over and trusting uh, a God. I love to protect them.
0: Framing it like stewardship really changes your mindset, doesn't it? It does. It absolutely does. Definitely. Uh, Best resource on raising boys and girls other than any of your books or lectures or podcasts. Hands down
1: a book by my friend, Dr. Dan Allender, how children raise parents. It's one of my favorite parenting books out there. I couldn't recommend it highly enough. It should be required reading. They shouldn't let you go home from the hospital until you dropped it in your Amazon bucket. So grab a copy of that book that Dr. Dan Allender, How Children Raise
0: Parents. All right. That will definitely be in our show notes. And lastly, give us a Christian quote or Bible verse that you're meditating on today.
1: Could, um, could it be the one I just shared with you from my dear friends, Jane, and Catherine, because I love it so much. Absolutely. Yeah. Do you want to give and, it to us one I, more time? I'd love to. And I think even saying not just saying that over our children, saying it back to their to ourselves, you know, God made me to do harder things in the good story he's writing for my life. If, if I believe that to be true for myself and for my kids, I think it can be transformative in our journey of parenting. So I, I couldn't say that
0: enough. Absolutely. And one of the privileges that we get on this earth earth is to be a parent, Dad. So let's not take it lightly. Yes. Amen. (laughs) Well, David, we're just about out of time. But before we go, I want to give you an opportunity to share how we can connect with you and grab a copy not only of this amazing book, but also the accompanying workbook.
1: Thank you. You can find everything I do at raisingboysandgirls.com. So you could find our podcast, you could find our books there. You could uh, find out where we're traveling around the country and teaching some classes. And I'd love to get to meet you if I'm coming to your city. And then the books can be purchased anywhere you buy books. And so thanks for giving me the opportunity. Thanks for the life-giving work you're doing too. I'm so grateful for your investment in Fathers and genuinely honored to get to be a part of this conversation today. Thank you.
0: Thank you. And that really means a lot coming, coming from someone like you. I really do appreciate that. And I want to thank you for, especially for, you know, touching all the, all the boys and all the men out there. Um, we need more, more counselors like you that are, that have this focus. And I know my wife, especially because it has never stopped singing your praises. In fact, I had to like hold her back from trying to be on this podcast with me because <laughs> she just loved I me mean, to me for her. And she wanted to make sure I got this across it the, the, the um nurturing, the, the nurturing book, the wild things book, wild things book that completely changed for her. And then for me, because, you know, wives like to pass on what they read to the husbands, how we focused on raising our son. And she, she read that it completely changed what, how she wanted to um how she wanted to speak into him. And so I just, I want to thank you for that because I have an amazing six and a half year old. And I hope that uh, these materials will help me just make him an amazing teenager. We'll see, though. Stay tuned. Thank you. you. Thanks for saying that. Give my best to your wife. Absolutely. No problem at all. David, thanks so much for coming on the show. May God grant you many blessed years and just bless the work that you're doing. Uh, Take care, my friend. And we look forward to hearing back from you sometime in the future. Thank you. Hey, dads, are you responsible for your household or business finances? If so, check out my website, runthemoney.com. Run the Money is the place for money management tips for saving more, paying off debt, and budgeting. I also give you ideas and information for starting a side business. If you're in between jobs or need a way to get a better handle on your family's money, go to runthemoney.com for free articles on money management. That's runthemoney.com. R U N T H E M O N E Y. All one word, runthemoney.com. I'll see you there. Thank you for listening to Dad Devotionals. Be sure to text me at 717-913-5671 to join the Devoted Dads community. Do me a favor and share this episode with at least one other person who could benefit. Until next time, take care and God bless.